You're listening to The Wing Woman, brought to you by best mates and journalists Frankie Graddon and Charlie Gowns Eglinton. That's me. We wanted to start this week's episode by sharing with you a few of the things we've been reading, listening to, watching around the Black Lives Matter movement. We talked about this a little bit on last week's episode. As two white women, we don't want our voices to be at the centre of a conversation and a narrative that is not about us. But it is our responsibility to educate ourselves, to try and do better, to amplify black voices wherever we can. So what we will be doing going forward is making sure that there are always black-owned brands in our shopping edits on our newsletter, that there are always black authors on our reading lists, that we are always listening to and watching content by black producers. So instead of doing a special episode and then not doing the work, we want to make a commitment to you and to ourselves that we're going to be doing this going forward. Obviously, that's something we should already have been doing, but we are making a commitment now to do better and to educate ourselves and we are going to hold ourselves accountable and we'll be sharing anything that we read or listen to or watch that helps educate us with the thought that it might also help to educate you or a family member or whoever feels that they need to start um, doing that work. So we hope it will be useful. We're going to make mistakes, but we're really committed to this. So thank you for bearing with us. We're just going to start with a few of the things that we have actually read and watched and listened to this week that have impacted us. Frank, do you want to start us off? Yes, please. The first piece I want to highlight is actually an audio long read on The Guardian. And it's by a British journalist and author called Gary Young. Gary was former editor-at-large at The Guardian. And previous to that, he spent 12 years in America as The Guardian's US correspondent. So this piece, it's called Farewell to America, and it was actually recorded in 2015, and it was at the end of his 12-year stint in the US as he was preparing to leave. There's like a little updated intro that he recorded in January this year. It explains the piece um, and that these were his thoughts on his time and his experiences. He explains that the latter half of his time in America coincided with a country having its first black president. Yet this was still a time when black men were being shot in the street simply for being a black man on the street. He explains how when he recorded this, it was the summer of 2015 when he was preparing to leave and the Black Lives Matter movement was uppermost in people's minds in response to racial tension and police violence. And he actually describes that summer as the summer of rage. Obviously, this is, we're now five years later. And the heartbreaking thing is, is that nothing has changed. It's interesting, he he talks about when he first went there, he almost considered himself as an onlooker. As a Brit in the US, he felt very separate from what was going on. He then explains how he makes the transition from feeling like an onlooker to feeling very much part of the country and the community partly because he'd spent a bit more time there, but he also explains that a big catalyst for this was when he had children. Um, So a lot of what he talks about is his experience of bringing up his children. In America, they were born. In America, I mean, he talks about what it was like to realise that his son noticed racial discrimination when he was four years old. And the challenge it was to on one hand give his children a sense of self-confidence and pride in who they were and then on the other hand having to explain to them because of who they were made them vulnerable and the need to make them aware of that vulnerability because one day it might just save them he explains that he wants people to understand what it was like being a black correspondent in america during those years, what he'd seen, what he'd experienced, but also what it was like to live that and what it was like to bring young children up in that. He also explains that that that's not why he left the US and that he was, if he was trying to escape racial discrimination, he wouldn't have moved to Hackney. So it's not that he was painting the US any worse than the UK, but those were his experiences. I found it a really powerful and moving listen. Where can we find this? It's on The Guardian's audio long read section. So if you Google Gary Young audio long read on The Guardian, it will come up. So it's Gary and then Young 
Y-O-U-N-G-E. It's called Farewell to America. I actually read two really interesting pieces on The Guardian this week. Uh, the first is by Dr. Keisha N. Blaine, who is an award-winning author, historian, Harvard Fellow and Professor. And it's co-written with Tom Zollner, who is an author and a university professor. The piece is called... Riots, mobs, chaos. The establishment always frames change as dangerous. It's talking about how the linguistics of coverage of the protests that are happening can really frame society's view of them. And that's through the mainstream media, that's through Donald Trump describing protesters rioting, describing protesters as an angry mob. He's framing this in a certain way. And the media is doing that to an extent as well, obviously different media outlets have their own different points of view that they are you know they are not um unbiased news outlets Mm. and here's a a few lines from the piece the word riot as well as the terms mob chaos and insurrection is alarming language that creates a deliberate mode of understanding in the listener these words are often used to delegitimize and dismiss black movements to make them appear too far removed from civil society to be taken seriously Actually, even reading British coverage of what's happening, you can see Mm. that. And this piece is really interesting because it talks historically as well about revolutions against slavery. But at the time, those revolutions were seen as chaotic. They were seen as rioting. And how actually the establishment's view is always that these revolutions are chaos, that they're riots, that it's an angry mob. But looking back in history, obviously, that's a revolution. Mm. And how important it is for us to notice that language when we see it. How important it is for us to read a headline and question the words that they have used and question how they're framing it. And um, in America in particular, I mean, to see the protests where the majority white people were protesting about not being able to go to their local beaches and, you know, lockdown closing down their shops and not being able to just get out and about and see all their friends with weapons... And that was called a protest. Mm. And then for peaceful protests where everyone is kneeling, where people are lying on their fronts with their hands behind their back as a visual protest, to call those riots. Mm. I mean, the contrast is is stark. So I thought that was a really interesting read. And briefly, while you're on The Guardian, you should also read Black People Cannot Keep Suffering, Young Protesters on Why They Are Marching. So this was compiled by Amna Modin, but it is speaking to six demonstrators from the London marches. They are young black people, 18 through to 24, speaking about the various reasons that they came to to protest. Um, And I think those personal accounts are really important. I think when you are seeing media coverage of those protests and seeing violence and perhaps being told that they weren't peaceful, that, that people were there as an angry mob. I think it's really important to read these personal accounts that are the truth of why so many young people are protesting. Um, What else has been on your list, Franks? So I also want to shout out to a podcast called Unpretty. So this is a pretty newish podcast. Uh, First episode launched in April. It's founded and created by a team of four black women, two of whom are peers of Charlie's and mine, Chi and Basma. Past episodes have included discussions on looking after hair during lockdown and discussions of how media can be inclusive without being tokenistic. Last week's episode was recorded last Wednesday and it's actually a conversation between the four founders sharing their feelings and reactions to the events in America and over here, their opinions and feelings towards the social media reaction and the reaction of brands. It's really candid, it's really eye-opening, it's really honest. They talk about how painful it was to record the episode for them. Obviously it's triggering, but it's amazing that they have spoken so honestly. As a white woman listening to it who is educating herself and questioning things that I have done, mistakes that I have undoubtedly made, it's uncomfortable But this is what this is about, is having these uncomfortable moments in order to change how I, we move forward and we behave in the future. So I would really, really recommend listening to this. 
it's bi-weekly so i believe the next episode will be out next week um subscribe and add that to your listening list my final suggestion is a book by the author poet and playwright lem sisse it's called my name is why a memoir it's not about what's going on with race at the moment it was published last year in 2019 but it's a memoir of his life growing up in the british care system he was born in the uk his mother was a young ethiopian woman who was here to study she didn't want to give him up for adoption she was hoping to be able to take him back when she was able to but as a young unmarried pregnant woman in the 1960s she was put into a mother and baby home and her baby was taken away from her she didn't sign the adoption papers but when she was back in her native ethiopia she was sent documentation saying if she didn't reply within a certain amount of time she relinquished all rights to her baby however it was sent through the postal system and it was sent to you know from britain to ethiopia at a time when by the time it even arrived with her she wouldn't have been able to reply in time this was obviously long before email or you know she didn't have another means of communication anyway lem or as he was then renamed norman was fostered by a white family who didn't have any children they then went on to have three biological white children after they fostered him and when he was 12 they put him into the system i mean it's heartbreaking and if you've if you've read about life for children in care it is heartbreaking his story also involves racism that he faced throughout his childhood it's an incredibly moving story and i think it's important for us to read about racism and just the experiences of black people not just currently and not just through this one lens but in a wider way and to read fiction and to read all sorts of things um, about that experience that we can't understand but that we can try to educate ourselves about and small anecdote I was then watching a TED talk that he did about the care system and children in the care system and he walked on stage and had a little microphone on him and was like skin colored microphones and it was a pale pink it was a caucasian skin color and he is a black man mm. but even walking on stage to give a ted talk you know that small reminder of his difference that small reminder that things are made for white people mm. anyway it's an incredibly compelling read and i will be lending it to you Next time we go for a distance walk, Francesca. Thank you very much. Obviously, they're just a few bits that we've read over the past week. We would absolutely love to hear from you guys, our women community. What have you been reading? What have you been watching? What have you been listening to that you would like to highlight and share? You can email us. What's that email address? At thewingwomanofficial at gmail.com. You can DM us on our Instagram at thewingwoman underscore. And obviously DM either me or Charlie separately. I'm at Frankie Gredin and Charlie is at Charlie Gowans. Before we talk about anything else, do you mind if I go for a wee? <laughs> also, I've just noticed that right before we... I didn't have time for a proper snack, so right before we sat down, I just bit into an apricot, but I've just um, I've just dribbled a little bit on my Sunspell sweatshirt. So really sorry about that. I've just like, got a little yellow apricot stain. I'm just going to go for a small wee. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> right. <clears throat> I'm back and my bladder is gloriously empty. You were so quick. I started peeing just as I went. So by the time I get to the bottom of the stairs, I just need to wash my hands and I'm back up. Great. Well done. Um, <laughs> now that I have an empty bladder, I have space for this Beavertown Gamma Ray American Pale Ale. I'm drinking out of a can. It's got sort of fun Mars attack skeleton alien graphic on it lovely it's orange and blue i forgot to put my wine in the fridge basically frankie that is a confession that i need to make um so it's not cold she's got a tinny instead so this was in the crisper for an emergency actually i quite like a beer in a can when i'm gardening mm. i always think beer is quite a summery vibe yeah it's good all right so I'm just going to... Mm. Nice. Yeah, it's lovely. Great. It's lovely. Okay. What else has struck a chord with you this week, Franks? 
So I read a piece on Refinery29. It is by Sive O'Sullivan and it's called Women Around the UK Share How Their Spending Has Changed During Lockdown. Pretty explanatory headline. Does what it says on the tin. <laughs> <laughs> So it's a variety of women from Refineries Money Diaries, which I know is which I one love. Of your I'm obsessed with that yeah. series. I'm just so nosy, and so finding out how much money people make and what they spend it on is so interesting to me. Yeah. So they have shared how their spending and attitude to money has changed during lockdown. Obviously, lockdown has had such a massive effect on so many people's financial situations the intro to the piece quotes some stats 24 percent of the uk workforce is at risk 1 million people signed up for universal credit in april alone and 140,000 companies applied for the furlough scheme so lockdown has been bad news for a lot of people financially so i feel, i feel like i think about money a lot anyway we've spoken and i've written about this before and i've I don't really like talking about money. I've always held it at a bit of a distance and it's just something I've always felt growing up. But I do also think we are, our society, it's not encouraged to talk about money, right? It's sort of that that thing you, I, you leave to one side and don't really discuss it. I talk about money, but I'm vulgar <laughs> well, and an oversharer. But that's the thing, like, it's made... <laughs> you're made to feel like it is vulgar to discuss money. So it's that sort of, like, weird hidden... A topic that no one talks about even though it's something that everybody encounters and everybody has to deal with um mm. but since being freelance it's something i've had to think about way way more and during lockdown when i realized the effect that the pandemic was going to have on my income it quickly became something i thought about on a daily basis and i obviously think about it still on a daily basis so what is that effect so i okay so the Effect it's had... Spill. <laughs> How long have you got? The effect it's had on my... So, obviously, I'm freelance. Um, as are you. Welcome to the club. Thanks. But I'm three days in, officially, to not getting paid. And you are over a year. Over a year. So, I went freelance in February 2019, when the pool folded. So, annoyingly, that means I'm not eligible for... The government scheme um and it's i mean ugh, freelance journalism especially fashion and beauty pretty much dropped off a cliff when lockdown happened obviously people weren't really thinking about what to wear and what shade of lipstick to buy and commissioning budgets were tightened magazines newspapers publishing houses didn't know how this was going to affect them so commissioning budgets tend to be the first thing that get pulled. Um, so my income fell off a cliff. At this point, I'm going to say I am incredibly lucky. Obviously, I'm married. Hi, Ben. He still has a job. He has taken a pay cut, but we can still pay the mortgage. So we're in an incredibly privileged position. But it nevertheless, it, it's something that you... Think about when, you know, all of a sudden your income changes and drops dramatically. It's worrying. Um, and it's funny, uh, last year when my in my first year of freelance, when you sort of wake up in the night and you have these money panics, which you always do. Sorry, Chaz, to flag. Something to look forward <laughs> they to. Will happen. Let me just chug some <laughs> exactly. of my £2.69 beer. <laughs> they will happen. I always calm myself by thinking, well, do you know what? There's money out there. And even if everyone in the publishing media industry decides to never commission me ever again, I can earn money in a bar or as a waiter. How would you earn money in a bar, not as a waiter? That's what I'd like to know. I could have been a barman. That's a waiter. I always think of waiters as with plates. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I see think where a barman and a waiter are two different classes. I was wondering if you thought you could maybe do the door, you could be the muscle. Oh, I could. With you, you do carry a shoulder pad off well, which I think is important for muscle. Well, and as I reminded Ben only a few hours ago, um, the lady, my last bra fitting, and there's a reason why it was my last bra fitting, 
because the lady who fitted me did mention that I had a surprisingly broad back. Hmm. I didn't look like I had a broad back, but actually, wow, your back's actually quite broad. So maybe I could, maybe I could be a bouncer. Either that or you could be paid to tell bra fitters how not to speak to women about their bodies. Do you know what I mean? Anyway, so yeah, so you go through all of these like plan B, plan C, plan D, plan E and you think, okay, well look, I, I, I can do something and I can bring in income and you know, if the shit hits the fan, I've got my backups. So then when lockdown happened, that is what was so scary is suddenly your plan B to Zs were no longer viable because all the bars are closed, all the restaurants are closed, all the shops are closed, nobody was hiring. Then you suddenly think, oh shit, like actually I'm I'm potentially in a position here where I'm not gonna earn any money at all, which is a horrible out of control feeling. So how has your spending changed then? So we've been, like I've been really conservative with spending a lot less shopping for clothes and just stuff cancel subscriptions i didn't need to been using resale sites to sell clothes and bits and bobs i no longer use which actually is all stuff i should have been doing anyway but then on the flip side and actually we were talking about this earlier i'm doing lots of small spends little luxuries to cheer myself up such as buying coffee in the morning with you and a pastry uh, like a couple of mornings a week buying bread from a trendy bakery instead of buying it from the supermarket and even though you know whenever you look at those articles that are like how to save 50 grand in a year without even realizing and you know where are your personal finances going so wrong it's always I mean it's always the coffee from Pratt isn't it and it's always like if you didn't buy your morning latte you'd be a millionaire by now so I know that these are the little sneaky pitfalls that we fall into and yet I'm doing it in a time where I'm financially the least secure I've been in forever. I'm doing this, but I also don't want to stop it. Well, it's a way to normalise this situation, though, isn't it, that we're in? Because it's incredibly bizarre to suddenly find ourselves in a world where for the first eight, ten weeks of lockdown, I didn't see another person bar someone in the chemist or food shop when I went out and I was going out about once every 10 days so when coffee shops reopened being able to go out and chuck some money away on a three pound coffee feels like normality and it feels like it feels like there's possibilities and the world is opening back up and it's this little ritual that actually when both of us have spent time working in an office and when you needed to clear your head, when you needed to just step away from your desk, walking out and going and getting a coffee, yes, it's a waste of money, but it like the difference it can make to how you feel, even taking those 10 minutes away from the desk, it can be night and day. Mm. And it's it is crazy to be spending that money now, especially for me. I have an espresso machine in my house with a milk frother and I have Oatly Barista in my fridge. I buy it in six packs online and they get delivered to me. So I have everything I need to make a delicious oat milk latte that is identical to the one that I would get in our local coffee shop even down to the fact that today's I drank out of the keep cup that I brought with me to the coffee shop. I'm not even drinking it in a nice cup and saucer. I can replicate that exactly at home. And I didn't need to drink it there because, you know, with work, you're near that, you're near your office, you're not near home, you can't just nip back and have a coffee. But for me, when I can't book a holiday or snog anyone or see my sister because she lives in on the other side of London and neither of us has a car and it's too far for me to do one of my big walks even to go and see her. 
what I can do is have a coffee mm. and for a few minutes feel kind of normal again, mm. just walking along with my overpriced wonderful coffee. Well, it's retail therapy, isn't it? Where if you're, ha- if you're in a panicky moment or if you're in a sad moment or if you're in a stressed moment, there are the, the endorphins that are let off by spending money and acquiring something you crave it so much even though it's completely counterintuitive and it's going to make your money stresses even worse it's there's like a weird thing where you can sort of like block it off and your rational logical mind that's saying don't buy that white and other stories dress you don't need another white and other stories dress where are you going to wear it it's raining now is summer over maybe your internal dialogue she's very well spoken and yet you're just like shh I'm buying it. It's like me being too stressed to even think about money or work out how to hire an accountant or whether or not I can, whether or not I'm capable of doing my own accounts as a freelancer, TBC. But instead of dealing with any of that, I go on eBay for four hours and I scroll, scroll, scroll through eBay and then I find a four pound ceramic urn and I feel better about life actually it was a pound 70 but do I need said ceramic urn no it is only a pound 70 but that adds up when like me you are absolutely obsessed with ebay ceramics and also spent the first couple of weeks of lockdown turning your house into like the perfect work from home space and erecting like standing desks and ordering like keyboards and mice and all the kit and a laptop stand and etc 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 and ice cube trays so that you can have iced coffees at home and just like every thought that I have is something I can buy but it is a distraction and when you're really stressed if you think of a really small problem and you're like oh it's inconvenient that my recycling is not part of a bin system under my sink, I can fix that. I can't fix very much else right now, but I can fix my bin Mm. system. I've always been one to indulge with money. I've never been... I've never been a saver. And that is something I am going to have to look at now because not that I was making loads of money, but I had a set regular income so I could plan. Mm. And I've never been freelance. I've always been in a job. So I have always known exactly how much money is coming in and exactly how much money is going out on my rent, on my bills, on my student loan, national insurance, all of that stuff. So this is new for me to not know exactly how much is going to be coming in, to not know <laughs> how I'm going to pay my rent each month. Should I be buying coffee? No. I feel odd almost talking about money now, and I never mind talking about money, but I am stressed about money. I hadn't expected to go freelance into the middle of a recession, or the beginning of a recession. I mean, who knows where we're going? So I am stressed about money, but I don't feel like I have a right to be stressed about money because I chose this. So many people had jobs that just couldn't carry on Mm. during lockdown during the pandemic that can't be done from home that couldn't be done remotely um so many people's incomes have suffered so many people will lose jobs are losing their own companies are having to fold or the company that they work for is folding this is such an awful time financially for so so many people and they had no say in that so i don't feel like i'm allowed to be stressed about money because i chose this I think you're allowed to be worried about money, Charles. Well, I'm worried about it whether or not I'm allowed to be. I want a bit of help from the outside community. Not from me, moneyostrich.com. <laughs> not from you, moneyostrich.com. I'm very fortunate I haven't come across this as of yet in my freelance career, this being an issue. But this is now an issue. I have an invoice that the client is just absolutely not paying. They're a US-based company i've chased it like an absolute demon and made myself such a pain in the ass chasing money is so horribly awkward 
and actually really humiliating. It's so hard to know what to do when you are freelance because you're not protected by any employment laws um, as you are when you are part of a company. So I've done some Googling and it looks like the option is to go down a legal route. However, that can be costly. So I just would like to know if anyone has gone down that route, what their experience of it was, if anyone's got any alternative suggestions, I am sending daily messages and it's the first thing I think about when I wake up and it is just so, it's so boring, but it's also wrong for them not to pay me. But what do you do in that situation? You know, do you actually take them to court? Do you shame them on social media? One upside of Frankie and I being unable to stop going and buying coffees in the morning, we are now in a position to be able to definitively rank Pan Chocolats in the Islington Hackney area. <laughs> yes, we are. This is the guide nobody knew they wanted, but everyone needs. We had a firm third and a firm second. However, this morning's third place... We revisited because a good journalist does that. You know, mm. they question mm. what they found. Double check the facts. And we are nothing if not good journalists. So we went back to third place Pan Chocolat, which is our first place in our hearts because everything else is fantastic and we love it. And it's the best coffee, etc. And just our favourite favorite place. But the Pan Chocolat's third place, mm. Jolene. Yeah. So sorry to report that. However, this morning's was hot out of the oven because we yeah. were early bird because Frankie also wanted to buy two different types of cake and they sell out really early. Actually, this morning's, I would say, was better than what we thought was the second place, E5 Bakehouse. Which is by London Fields. It's in, it's in a railway arch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's in E5 and it's a bakehouse. Yeah. <laughs> The loaf. What's the loaf? Is it called like a wild? It's like a wild loaf or something. Yeah, it's the it's the something sour. The anyway, Hackney, Hackney wild, wild sourdough. sourdough. So good, so good. And actually, it is four pounds, which is extortionate. Uh, but it's really quite big, and it freezes really nicely. So you could cut it in half, eat half fresh, and then the half that you wouldn't get to before it went stale you can slice and freeze do make sure you re- you slice it before you freeze it easy mistake to make not an easy mistake to remedy drum roll oh really upset my laptop <laughs> okay. there sussy. lovely view of your ceiling <laughs> first place pop pop popums pop pop popums just called popums but i like what you've done there are two spaces of Popham's Bakery. One is in Islington, sort of by the canal. The other one is in Hackney, up the top of London Fields. We had never been to either of them. I had been meaning to go because they also make fresh pasta and had heard great things. But we first went when they reopened during lockdown because they also sold bread. And it's like a nice 25 minute walk, socially distanced walk from near our houses where we could buy some bread and... The best pan of chocolat in the Hackney slash Islington area. It's big, but it's quality and quantity. The laminated layers mm-hmm. are so impressive. Oh, there's more chocolate. Yeah, that lamination. There's more chocolate than your average pan of chocolat, but it's not. They haven't overdone it. They've managed to keep the ratio perfect. But like the stru- the two bars of chocolate that run down it as well what i appreciate is that they're very widely Mm. spaced so it's not just in the middle and if you take a sort of sidey bite got quite a small mouth um then you don't get any chocolate wherever you're coming from whatever angle you're gonna hit chocolate and you're not gonna get one mouthful that's too chocolatey and one that's not chocolatey at all they've really thought about it it's delicious it's delicious if you're near either of those do go and buy one and whilst we're in the spirit of just getting everyone to write in email us whatever if you have a favorite pan chocolate place that you'd like to put on our radar please let us know because we can walk to it and we'll add it to our listings or post us a pan chocolate that'd be nice wouldn't it oh that would be so nice <laughs> 
Yeah. We'll work for Panel Shock. Charles. That's my name. Is it something... It's not something you've been reading. Is it some, Is it based on something you've been reading? I feel like it's just based on something we've been doing. No, mine this week is something I am experiencing. The phenomenon of wild weeing. Yes. So many wild wees. This is a feminist issue. Because men can just wee wherever they like. But women weeing? No. Yes, okay. You can buy a she-wee. These bother me. I don't understand. I don't understand. And what bothers me perhaps most of all, although I really, I just don't understand the practicalities of it, you know, how you direct your flow, which alters based on what you've been wearing as well. If you've been wearing a tight pair of jeans, sometimes it just comes out (laughs) at an angle that you weren't expecting. That is true. Do you know what I mean? And you're like, normally you're shooting that way, but sometimes it's just like, whoa, hey. Or there's a couple of different directions. Right? Yeah. Like a leaky pipe that's just suddenly shooting out all around. Anyway, what I really don't understand is once you've weed all over this, what do you do with this urine-soaked horn? (laughs) Do you just pop it in your handbag? Is that the plan? Is it? (laughs) That pocket, do you use it to... um, attracts help do you bugle bugle for help in your with your urine horn <laughs> help me i've pissed all over myself <laughs> and i've come so far down this ditch to try and get privacy that i can't get back up again I'm now stuck <laughs> ankle deep in excrement oh <laughs> it's too much it's, it's too, much. too much but do you know what babe i think people might disagree with you about the shiwis because the paz Shiwi sales are up 700% since public toilets closed. What is wrong with squatting? That's what I'd like to know. I actually enjoy a wild wee hugely. Freeing. Yeah, I had the best wild wee of my life. Well, just the best wee of my life in Devon on top of a hillock, completely exposed (laughs) because there was just no option to not be exposed. But I was in the middle of nowhere and Ben was on watch. And just the release and then the breeze that blew between my legs was a really, really nice experience. Was it arousing? Was it awakening? No. Oh, no. How would you describe oh, it? Oh, maybe Invigorating, awake. probably. Invi- yes, breeze. yes, yes. Refreshing. Um, but then I have also, on the flip side of that, had a disastrous wild wee scenario few well what now four and a bit years ago it was one of mine and ben's early dates and we went to richmond park and i had to have a wild wee in a bush and this is what happens you accidentally piss all over yourself (laughs) because it is very hard (laughs) when you are a woman to like you've got to take i was wearing a dress i mean god forbid you've decided to wear trousers or a jumpsuit so I was wearing a dress but you've still got to navigate knickers you've got to get your feet far enough apart that you don't wheel over your sandals get into a comfortable stance make sure that the back of you isn't accidentally exposed to a clearing that you didn't realize and and then release um but so I weed all over my dress fortunately it was a black dress so you couldn't see. So that would be a top tip of mine. If you are considering a wild wee or being putting yourself in a situation where you might need to do a wild wee, do wear black. It. I mean, I, I just must have... It was quite a full skirt. So I'd gathered what I thought was everything, but there was obviously a bit, a little tail hanging down that I hadn't gathered. <laughs> and we'd all over that and then really had no choice but to tell Ben. Because I was like, well, in wow. case he like touched you or something, and got exactly. Like a oh. He might have like you know, saucily smacked my bum, um, and then just got a bit of a wet palm. So I had to tell oh, him. No. He took it well. I mean, like we're still together. It's fine. Um, so difficult. But the the other thing is, is actually in some UK councils you can get fined for public weeing, and in the park near us, so our local park is Clissold, there are huge banners that say you're not allowed to we here so jokes aside 
it is really stressful. But while all public toilets are closed and I don't have a car, I have occasionally hired like an Uber jump, but I don't have a bike either. So I'm walking everywhere. So to see my parents this weekend for a socially distanced walk, I walked from my flat in Highbury to Highgate, which is like a 70 minute walk. And then I walked around Hampstead Heath with them, got a coffee at the beginning, got a coffee in the middle, had a sandwich, and then I walked home again. At no point was I near a loo. All the public park loos are obviously closed. Coffee shops are open, but their loos are closed. You know, for safety reasons, it wouldn't be hygienic amongst coronavirus to have those loos open. But what are we supposed to do? Just not go for a walk because we're women and we can't we covertly. And also, my thighs rub together if I'm on a big walk and it's hot. I can't be wearing a dress for that. So I've got to wear jeans. So at some point, I've got to lower said jeans, get my whole bottom out (laughs) into the squat. Even the densest shrubbery doesn't actually look that dense when you're in it. Like from a distance, you're like, that looks opaque. And then you're inside it, not opaque. Also, dogs, perverts. (laughs) I love dogs, but like, it's almost like they can sense from like 100 metres away that a woman has just got her bare bottom out. And they're like, let me just run. (laughs) Having your bottom exposed and hearing something hurtling through the undergrowth, I just, it's a real gamut of emotions that you will experience. It's not relaxing, is it? And it's very difficult if you're then trying to rush because you hear something coming and there's always an owner quite quickly behind a dog. So you don't know how soon that the owner will be with you. So you're trying to rush and then you may wee on yourself. Yeah. Well, and surely this issue is going to be accelerated with everybody drinking their booze in the park, as we Brits tend to do, um, because nothing goes through you quicker than wine or beer or... A G&T. Well, exactly. And I walked through our local park the other day on my way back from the food shop. It was like seven o'clock on a Friday evening and the amount of men standing under one tree that had low-hanging branches and they were all standing sort of back to back with their backs around the trunk, facing outwards, having a wee. Oh, And you could see all their... Well, but the branches were quite low, so you could kind of just see their feet and ankles. But the ground around them was like sodden. In a park like that, because it's not a very wild park, that is grim. So I can understand why they've put up signs being like, go home. Because it's people who are having 10 pints and after each one, having a giant wee. (laughs) But if you don't have a park near you, if you have to walk an hour to get to outside space, what are you supposed to do? Just never be in outside space again. Just spend the whole summer inside a flat without any outdoor space because you can't because there's no for you to go to the toilet it won't be men doing that they'll always just be like oh i could just find anywhere to go it would be women Mm. well and we're saying this as two women who don't have particular bladder issues although i i'm sure i have a smaller bladder than the average person because i need a wee so frequently you do wee often all the time but if if you do have bladder issues then like then what then you're really limiting where you can go who you can see that's really miserable and also periods what are we doing here i found the designated we area not the official designated we area but the unofficial designated we area in hackney marshes the other day i mean fabulous it was secluded it was roomy i could tell it was the designated we area because there were tissues absolutely everywhere so at least people had wiped but you know pop it back in your pocket take the tissue away put it in a bin Put it in a bin. But I saw a sanitary towel. It was unused, which was confusing. Uh, because then I don't know why it was on the floor. And obviously I was a bit like, oh God, that should have been in the bin. But then, you know, you think, well, hang on. If you are on your period, we've all been caught out on our periods before. What, like, what do you do then when you actually don't have access to a toilet to sort yourself out are we just for one week of every month just not going to be able to go out for a walk it's and it sounds silly to say doesn't it it sounds silly because it's just having a wee but if the government thinks it's okay to reopen pubs in a month's time and it's okay to reopen shops because 
basically they've left everything too late and now the economy's in free fall. Actually, our figures of reinfection are not low enough for us to open those things compared to any other countries that have successfully come out of lockdown. But the government has decided it is fine for us to all wander around Oxford Circus and buy a new pair of jeans. But no one's allowed to have a wee anywhere. Mm. And in the middle of summer, families who don't have outside space but have young children or dogs or whatever and might have to walk far to go to a park won't have anywhere to wee. Weird. Have you watched anything good on the telly this week? I have. I've watched I May Destroy You, which is BBC's latest very exciting series that I know everybody's the into. Never heard of it. What is it? You What? Have you not? No. Oh my God. Right. I can't believe I'm not late to the game on something. You might be. I just am later. <laughs> I didn't even know there was a game on, pal. It only started on Monday. It's on iPlayer and it, they're doing it like a Killing Eve style thing. So they're dropping episodes every Monday. But the first two episodes are up. Each episode is half an hour long. It is a fictional drama written and starring Michaela Cole, who was the creative force behind Chewing Gum. Chewing Gum. Yes. Okay, I loved that. So the protagonist is Arabella. She, in the first episode, you see her have this drunken night out. And the following day, she realises that there are whole sections of the evening. Well, the latter stages of the evening, she can't remember. Um, And as the episode unfolds and goes into the second episode, you see her having these flashbacks of an attack. So it's, that sort of happens quite early on. I haven't spoiled anything. But that's the setup of it. And then she's obviously trying to piece together what has happened. It's really good. Just get involved. Get involved. If you want something really lowbrow, every episode of Buffy, all seven seasons, <laughs> are on Channel 4. I haven't watched them yet. I've, I've what, started watching ever? the first one, but then it was... No, obviously I watched them at the time. <gasps> God, I thought you meant ever. And I was like, what the no, hell were you doing at the, the age of 14, started... 15? <sighs> watching Buffy. Definitely not getting asked on dates by cute boys. Just watching Buffy in my house. And um, looking at my acne in the mirror. Um, but I started re-watching episode one. And there was a lot of like running down corridors in the dark. And I do live alone. And it was dark oh. in my flat. So I was a bit like... <laughs> It was also the reason why I couldn't watch the last series of Luther because I started watching it and oh. then there was that bus bit and I yeah, was like, ah, no, no, ah, no, no. Top deck um, of the bus still freaks me out. But I'm very excited to rewatch it when I'm in a slightly less fragile state of mind. Were you a team angel? Were you team Spike? I know he wasn't the heartthrob we wanted, but he was the heartthrob we deserved, I thought, because actually <laughs> by the end, Spike... Really came into his own. I loved yeah, him. No, he, I never liked Angel. He did. Oh, I was heavily into Angel. I had an uh, yeah, I had an Angel phone case. I thought he was David Boreanaz, David right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I thought he was just a bit wet. No, and he was. But I'm just, I was just such a sucker. And obviously, he was positioned as the heartthrob. And I remember the scene where Buffy and Angel have a passionate kiss, and then Buffy pulls away. And there's a there's a crucifix burnt into Angel's chest because Buffy is wearing her cross because obviously she's a vampire slayer. But they were and he's a vampire. And, we should oh yes, just know. and if you a, haven't watched Buffy, he's and Angel, a vampire. It's a forbidden love. Yeah, I mean it was the prequel to Twilight, really, wasn't it? It mapped yeah. out the Twilight saga. Um, but because they were just so in love and the kiss was so tender, he didn't flinch at the fact that a giant crucifix was being burnt into his chest. And I thought that was really romantic. But then I definitely went through a stage where I fancied Spike. I went through a stage where I fancied um, Willow's boyfriend, Seth. The actor's called Seth something, and I can't remember what his name was. Yeah. In the oh my god. Thing. Yeah. Seth Green. Oh, he god. was called Seth, Seth Green. Green. It's not Seth Green's up to you. So. Yeah, I don't. I just don't know. I never. <laughs> I never liked Spike's hair though. No. Well. Oh, were you gonna? Were you about to be mean about Xander? I never fancied Xander. <laughs> I just love the Buffy like when the music kicks in. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> It was like, yeah, <laughs> women are so strong and amazing. Yeah. And I love whatever she was jumping off, she'd land and she was always wearing heeled ankle boots. Yeah, but 
the, the heel was, you know, those really chunky rubber heels, like kickers. Yeah. I was never allowed kickers at school. I don't think you were allowed them, but also they were expensive. So I feel like I had an unbranded kicker version. I had pods from, like, instead. Clarks, yeah. yeah. Oh, bootlegs, yeah. Obs. Thanks, mum and Classic. dad. Um, but the way that the heel, the rubber heel sort of almost goes out at the bottom. Yeah. Do you know how it's slightly flared? Yeah. That was just such a 90s moment yeah. of shoe. Yeah. Well, and but thanks to Buffy, I spent a day dragging mum round the shopping centre in Milton Keynes trying to find a pair of red leather trousers. That is surprising because actually Buffy, the film, I don't know if you've ever seen I this, haven't seen the film. Pre-Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the show with Sarah Michelle Gellar in the leading role, who is still happily married to Freddie Prinze Jr., yeah. by the way, which is a detail that I really enjoy. Lovely. Before that, there was a Buffy film. Oh, it was so, so good. Was it Sarah Michelle Gellar or no? No, it was not. It was, I'm going to look it up. So the show, Sarah Michelle took it on in 97. But in 92, there was a film. Christy Swanson was Buffy and Luke Perry was the love interest. Oh, fantastic casting. Also, Paul Rubens, i.e. Pee Wee Herman was one of the vampires and Donald Sutherland was Buffy's I can't remember what he's called watcher who helps Buffy to fulfill her vampire slave potential the reason I bring this up is because in this film there's a yellow leather jacket that has really stuck with me and I to this day if I see a yellow leather jacket I'm like hello it's funny that you fixated on a pair of red leather trousers and I fixated on a yellow leather jacket and that that's what Buffy did for us. Thanks, Buffy. Well, this uh, American pale ale has shot right through me. And fortunately, I'm in my own home, so I don't need to have a wild wee. I can just have an indoor wee. But let's wrap this up. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please do subscribe, rate and review and tell your pals. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. We cover similar topics, but in the written form. If you find our voices, grating. You can sign up for that at thewingwoman.co.uk. And as mentioned earlier, we are all over Instagram, collectively at thewingwoman underscore, separately at Frankie Gradin and at Charlie Gowans. We'll see you next week. Until then, bye. Bye.